So Jesus is teaching and is approached by his, his family, and they, they can't get to him because of the crowd. And Jesus says this crazy thing, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, it's not those who hear the Word of God and talk about it, those who hear the Word of God and read a magazine about it. It's just like this furniture maker. Well, this, this guy that had some equipment. <laughs> Jesus says the people that are his family, the people who are in the family of God, are the people who hear God's Word and then actually get crazy and do it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning and so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, let's remember where we are. So maybe three weeks ago, we looked at uh, the, the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, uh, whatever you want to call it, where Jesus says there's a guy who's a farmer who goes out and he's broadcast planting and some of the seed falls on the, the, the path and the birds of the air come and, and eat it. Some of the seed falls on rocky soil and so it springs up and looks good and then once the sun bears down on it, it doesn't have any roots and so it just withers and dies. And then some people are like the seed that go out among the thorns, and the thorns crush it, and it doesn't grow. And then some are the seeds that fall in good soil, and they grow up, and they bear fruit, some tenfold, some hundredfold. And then as he's telling the story, the text says, he says over and over, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we see Jesus translates this, this parable for us, and we see that the seed is the Word of God. And the soil is mine and your hearts. And that we need to be careful how we hear God's Word. And so last week we looked even more, deeper, uh, more deeply at the idea of just because you hear what somebody's saying doesn't mean that you hear what somebody's saying. Because Jesus said then, be careful how you hear. Because to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And so as we hear God's word being preached or taught or we read it, we need to be careful. Because if you're convicted of something, if the Holy Spirit's drawing you, if you feel the, the, the weight of God's Spirit contending and fighting with you, saying, this is the way you need to go, when you fight that, then the one who has and the one who does that, who obeys, it happens more and more and more. So that you, you're, as you're walking around, you're in this constant dialogue with the God that created the universe. And then when you fight it and you say, God, I, really, seriously, butt out. Isn't that really what we're saying when we hear what God says and we just still do what we want to do? I mean, is any parent here, would you let your kids do that? Hey, Ruthie, it's time to clean your room. You know what? I'm playing on the iPad. Why don't you run along? I got, I got some stuff going on. Why don't you just, we'll catch you later. And so the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, before the flood came, it said that I will not contend with man forever. So that as you fight it, your heart hardens. 
And then, like Esau, who sought forgiveness, who wept and said, God, give me repentance. He couldn't find it. Now, that doesn't mean that God wouldn't forgive him. I'm often reminded when I think of that, of the story of the fact that it says when Jesus was in his hometown, he couldn't do many miracles. Now, does that mean that Jesus was in his hometown and people brought somebody that had a withered hand or somebody that was a demoniac or somebody that that had leprosy and Jesus tried to heal them and said, be healed, and it just didn't happen? He just didn't have his go juice that day? Or did it mean that people didn't come because they thought, that's just Joseph's son? So he couldn't do many miracles, not because people wouldn't come, but because people were like, ah, what's the point? That's just the carpenter's boy. And so we get to a point to where we don't even think about God anymore. It's just an afterthought. That's for those people. That's for those people who are weak-minded. That's for those people that Christianity can be a crutch. Now, this thing about Jesus and his brothers and sisters, it's weird because in Matthew and Mark, it's placed later in Jesus' life. The story, this story happens in fact, like the last week of Jesus' life as this is going on. Luke here has this story moved forward. Now, why do we think that would be? I think that what's going on here is Luke has been telling us thing after thing after thing that's be careful how you hear. Be careful what's going on, that you, you take it in. And then Luke moves this story here because he wants to put a, 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 like a, an exclamation point on that idea here in this story. And so the idea is that Jesus' father, mother, uh, I mean, Jesus' mother and his brothers came and they thought they had it in with Jesus. They thought they had their act together. They thought that, 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 that they could just walk up and talk to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples came and said, hey, your mom and your, your brothers are here. And Jesus said, no, no, my mother and brothers are those that hear the word of God and do it. Luke wants to be sure that we understand what he's talking about. Now, the disciples are talking about his mama and his brothers, his physical brothers. And what Jesus is talking about is his family, and the kingdom of God. They're saying the same words, but they're meaning different things. So there was a story that happened, and I know Ann's going to cringe as I start telling this story, and I think I may have told it here before, but it really, really makes, drives this point home. Okay, so we, we lived in Dallas, and um, we were in the process of trying to move. And I walked out to my shed because I had uh, I had to, we, we had to pack up, and we were moving back to Alabama, and I had an interview, and we were in a hurry. And so I opened the shed door, and I walk in the, the shed, and just as I step in, a hoe had fallen off the ground and was laying on the ground just like a cartoon, man. The blade end is up, and so when I step on it, that hoe goes whap and hits me right square in the face. It literally knocked me out. I came to with a dog licking me in the face. And so I get up, and I, I'm, I'm bleeding out of my eye, which is never a good thing. And I walk in the house, and I, I'm like, Ann. And Ann's like, oh, what happened? And I said, I stepped on the, uh, the hoe, and the hoe handle hit me in the face. And, I, I, the, and the little soft skin under your eye, it started swelling and filling with blood. And I had this big pocket of blood on my face. And so Ann's like, oh, my gosh. And so I lay down on the ground, and she gets a rag and wraps it up in ice and puts it on my face, and I'm laying there. And now this was back in the night. We had some really bad insurance at that time that was really common. That in the insurance, you'd have to call and get permission to do anything. And so she calls 1-800-INSURE-ME, and she goes, my, I, my husband is laying here on the floor, and he's, he's bleeding out his eye. We need to go to the emergency room. And the lady says, What's, what, well, what happened? And he said, well, he was in the backyard, and he got hit in the face with a hoe. 
And the lady's like, excuse me? And she's like, I, I don't understand what the problem is here. He, 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 his hoe hit him in the yard. And the lady is like, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't really understand what you're saying. And she goes, you know, what is the problem here? He got hit in the face and a, and a hoe hit him. And he's bleeding out the eye. Can we go to the ER? And I'm like sitting there and I'm, I literally from the floor goes, she doesn't understand what you're saying. Tell her it's a garden implement. They were saying the same words, but they were meaning totally different things. This is what we see here with Jesus. They're saying the same words, but they're talking about two totally different things. The disciples are talking about your mama, and what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God. Now, if we were to go around in Etowah County and do a survey, and the only question we asked was, do you want to go to heaven? And I don't mean now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not packing and I'm asking if you want to go now. I'm saying, do you, do you want to go to heaven? I would say 99.9% .9 of people would say, absolutely. Everybody wants to go to heaven. All religions have some form of eternal bliss. Even if you watch the most vile, disgusting television show, when a person dies, they go, well, he's in a better place. Right? The only, in fact, uh, R.C. Sproul, I heard him preaching one time and said, in America, the only thing you have to do in the eyes of the world to go to heaven is die. I've never been a funeral, to a funeral, he said, where the preacher got up and said, well, you know what, he was sorry. He is probably in hell. <laughs> have any of you been to that funeral? But the words of that song that we just sang, I'm so thankful that I'm a Christian. Let me tell you a little secret. I'm going to show you, tell you a little bit about how the sausage is made. If you're, if you're a preacher and you're having a good day, you know, you get up, you, you get your notes together, you, nobody's uh, come and, and griped at you about the singing last me, and everything's going good, and you get a phone call that somebody has died, it goes down fast. Because no matter how much you try to pretend it doesn't hurt you to walk in with that family and walk them through that death. It does. It really does. In fact, I remember the very first time as a pastor that I walked a family through that. And I, uh, the, the, this was a, a very close-knit family. They, uh, in North Carolina, everybody's a tobacco farmer. And they, were, they had probably four or 500 acres of, of farmland. And as each kid had grown up, they had, the mom and dad had given them five acres to put their house on. And so the family of six kids all lived around mom and dad. And daddy died that night um, about 3 o'clock in the morning. And she called me. And I went over to the house. And he'd had cancer. So I'd been with the family. And uh, I walk in the door. And there's no ambulance. There's no nothing. And she's, she's sitting there. And, and, and the man has died. And, and I, I realized that she was just so distraught. She couldn't couldn't tell anybody. She couldn't bring herself to do it. So I called uh, hospice and told them what was going on. And then I got on her four-wheeler and went from door to door and told all those children that daddy had died. 
And I thought I was the big man. I thought I could handle this. This was no big deal. I was in seminary at the time, and so that morning I went to a class, and I'm sitting in this class, and it was an ethics class. It had nothing to do with death, and about halfway through the class, all of a sudden, I just started crying like a baby because all those emotions had finally washed over me. I don't know how I could do that outside of Christ because that song that we sang, death is crushed to death, is true. So that I can look that loved one in the face and know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If he was in Christ, we know exactly where he is. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants that assurance. And we read a story in the New Testament about a young man. He was a rich, young ruler. This guy had it together. In the description, it doesn't get any better. He's rich. He's got money. He's got a wad. He can pay for stuff. He's young. He's got all his hair men. Everything going for him. He's driving the newest, fanciest chariot with spinners on it. He's got minstrels in the back, and they're thumping as they go down the road. Everybody's looking at him going, I want to be that guy. He's rich, young ruler, and he is in charge. And Ann right now is saying, he's going to say Charles in charge. And I'm not. I'm not going to say it. And he came to Jesus one time and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Isn't that how everybody including us, approach Christianity, approach eternity. What do I have to do to earn my way to heaven? What things do I have to do? What good deed do I have to do to make it to heaven? Well, Jesus, knowing his heart, said, Dude, it's easy. Keep the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if this rich young ruler had been sincere in his desire to follow after Jesus, that would have been crushing news. Because we can't do any of those things. Everybody in here has misrepresented themselves for one time or the other, and you've lied. Everybody in here, if it was even when you were a little kid. I remember one time we were at, at, a, at a store and I stole, of all things, to steal a lure. Stuck it in my pocket, which is not a good idea. Because it's hard to sneak out with a lure in your pocket. <laughs> We've all stolen. We've all taken something that wasn't ours. In fact, the Bible says if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. And I don't think that that's metaphorical. Metaphorically. Cool. I think that it's he's being for real. If I go and steal something, I dishonored my parents. I misrepresented myself and lied. And on and on we can go. And so what that rich young ruler should have said is, I can't do that stuff. In fact, the Bible tells us that the reason why the law was given was as a schoolmaster so we could see that we've fallen before a holy God. And we're exposed to the law and we go, I can't do that. No, this guy had his act together in his own mind in fact, you read the story and you're kind of like, that's the guy. I've met that guy. And you really want to slap him when you meet him. He goes, hey, I've done all that since I was a kid, man. I got that together. And Jesus looked at him. And again, Jesus knew his heart. said, oh, okay. 
okay, there's one thing you lack. Why don't you go sell everything that you've got and give it to the poor? The Bible says he went away sad. See, Jesus knew in his heart what thing he was holding back. And Jesus put his finger right on it. It isn't about money. Don't make this text about money. It's about what is it that's in your heart that you say, Jesus, you can have all of me except this. Jesus, you can have all of me, but not my kids. Jesus, you can have all of me. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler except my money. That's mine. I don't know why that preacher, every time he gets up there, he's asking for money. Money, 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 money. Maybe for you, it's your time. Dude, I ain't going to church on Sunday. I got, I, got a, I got a stand to be in. I don't know what it is. You do. And, and, and especially us men, we have a tendency, because we have a tendency to compartmentalize things and say, this is my work, this is my family, and we have these boxes, and we try to make a new box for Jesus. We say, okay, here's my faith. And so after Sunday, I take that box and I put it under the bed. And then I go act like a hatherin. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus doesn't want 99% of your life. Jesus said, except a man take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. And that word cross, we know, at that time didn't mean anything religiously. It meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. So unless you're willing to die to what you want, to your hopes and your dreams, and say, Jesus, you can have all the boxes, then you're not worthy of me. So the rich young ruler, when Jesus put his finger on money, went away sorrowful, went away sad. In fact, Jesus tells us that in that day, Many will come. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who, listen, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all kinds of mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will say to them, I don't know you. Get away from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, isn't it interesting how there's a balance here? On the one hand, he says that those people didn't do. They did, their actions didn't reflect who they were. But when Jesus talks to them, he says, I don't know you. So here you have in balance what we do, our actions, and then who we are in Christ. And that's hard for us to figure out. That's hard for us to keep in balance. On the one hand, we want to act like, well, you know what? I've earned heaven. I've worked my way through. I've, done, I've gone to church. I've sang in the choir. I've preached. That word prophesying, that's what he's talking about. There's preachers who are going to be saying, but Jesus, I pastored for 20 years. I don't know who you are. So there has to be that balance in knowing him, a relationship, and what we do, which hopefully we'll be able to clear up. The point that Jesus is making as he's saying this about his family is this. 
The difference between being in the family and being an outsider is being someone who hears the word of God and does it, not just being born in the right family, not just attending the right church, or not growing up in a Christian nation. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Either you're God's child or you're not. Mama and daddy being a good Christian doesn't mean anything. Do you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You see, when we're talking about the law, Paul says that we're building up wrath. That every sin we commit is filling a cup. We're building it up. We lie. We cheat. We lust. We allow anger to cause us to sin. We worry. And that cup is filled. We're building up wrath. And so... On that last day, either you will pay and receive God's wrath or you will accept what Jesus did on the cross where God's wrath is poured out on him. One or the other. That wrath will be satisfied either through your just punishment in hell for all eternity Or on the cross when Jesus hung between heaven and hell and our sins were poured out on him and he said, it is finished. He drained the cup of its wrath. One way or the other. Now, as I this week worked on this sermon, I was really afraid that I was going to be sending the message that you could earn your way to heaven. Because Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those that hear the word of God and do it. So one could say, so what I need to do to get to heaven is do all the right things. When I was at Paris Island, uh, the first week that we got turned over to our drill instructors, uh, senior drill instructor Staff Sergeant Adams walked out one day and said, who here has gone to college? And five or six of us raised our hand. And so he looked at each one of them and said, where'd you go to school? And he's like, oh, I went to East Brunswick uh, Junior College. Where'd you go to college? And, oh, I went to so-and-so uh, uh, state school. And he came to me and he said, where'd you go to college? And I, because I, I had my hand up because I was stupid. And my dad told me, when you get to Paris Island, keep your eyes open, your mouth shut, and never volunteer for anything. But I'd forgotten that. So I had my hand up. And he goes, where'd you go to school? And I said, uh, sir, private went to Sanford, sir. He says, all right, you're my scribe then. You smart boy. Come here. And so I was made the scribe, which meant all through boot camp that I had to keep up with all the paperwork while everybody got to sleep. It was a great privilege. Um, and so periodically the drill instructor would come out and go, scribe up. And then everybody would go, scribe reporting senior drill instructor. And I would say, scribe reporting senior drill instructor, ah, sir. And I would run up to him and he would say, Harrison, well, let me see the watch list. And I'd give him the watch list and he'd, and then that, that was the end of it. So it's about three weeks left till we graduate. And the senior drill instructor comes out with a file folder in his hand. He goes, Harrison. And I go, sir, private Harrison, party sergeant, sir. And he said, you told me you went to Stanford University. I thought you were smart. I'm sitting here looking at this paperwork and find out that you went to some Cal college in Alabama called Stanford. <laughs> sir, the private, sir, the private, don't know, sir. He says, oh, so this whole time I've been thinking you're smart, letting you fill out my paperwork. Now I find out you're some kind of hick. So you're driving your tractor now. Sir, 
drive your tractor now. And so I'm, and so for the rest of that afternoon, he made me walk around and around in the squad bay driving my tractor. So I'm driving my tractor. And after I got bored, I bush hogged for a while. And so I drove my tractor for three or four hours. Even though I made all the same noises as a tractor, did that make me a tractor? I wasn't a tractor. I was a private in the Marine Corps looking like an idiot. Now, some of you men have tractors. If you went out to the barn or to your shed or wherever you've got your tractor and you sat down in it and you turned the key and you pushed push the start switch and it didn't make any noise, there's something wrong with that tractor. The noise isn't what makes it a tractor. What it is is what makes it a tractor. But if it's not making a noise, there's a problem. Doesn't matter how much noise I make, that don't make me a tractor. Doesn't matter how much like a Christian you act, you're still a dead man acting like a Christian. Christians act like Christians. Real believers do the stuff that Jesus commanded them to do. If you're not doing that, something's broken. Either you're not in Christ and you're playing a game, you're playing church, or you're a Christian who's gotten so in love with the world that you've forgotten what Jesus did on the cross for you. Either way, you need a mechanic. Jesus is saying, if you're in my family, you will act like it. You will hear God's word and do it. All this talk we've been hearing about being and hearing and hearing with the ears in our heart, it comes down to hearing it and letting it change you. If you can hear the Bible say, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. And yet you look at your enemies and cuss under your breath and say, if the police wasn't looking, I'd love to take a two-by-four upside his head. (laughs) And you're not convicted of that? Then there's a problem. Now, I'm not so naive of my own life to think that I always do what God has commanded me to do. I shared with some people this week that when I was the pastor at, at uh, Ransdell Chapel and somebody in the deacons meeting said something that was terribly wrong, I said, apparently we need to get you a Bible because you've never read one. So we'll go into the church funds and buy you a Bible because apparently that's what you need. And you know what? That was wicked, and that was evil, and that was arrogant, and it did nothing but destroy my ability to speak in that man's life. This week, I'm sure I'm going to do something that's not Christ-like. You can ask my kids. I'm constantly having to say, you know what? I reacted in anger at that. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? The beautiful thing about our faith is, Jesus, uh, the book of 1 John says, if we agree with God that what we're doing is sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. That's in black and white. And so as we come to a time of invitation right now, this altar will be open. If you are here and you've been trying to act like a tractor or act like a furniture maker and you're not in Christ, you've never called on the name of the Lord and been saved, run, don't walk, run to this altar. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. Call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Please, I plead with you with tears, don't go to hell. And if you're in this room and you're a Christian and you ain't making no noise, then come to this altar and make it right. And if you're looking for a church family, you want some place where you can worship and get in the fight, we would love to have you join us. Father God, Lord, I, I pray that people haven't misunderstood this. God, I pray that you apply your word to people's hearts. God, I pray that people see that Jesus called us to live a life not sign a card Lord I pray that your spirit fill this room I pray that you move in Jesus name Amen